Okay, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about whether or not there's a housing bubble in Canada. If is the mark is the housing market going to be crashing in Canada, and if it does, how do you deal with it? And if it doesn't, how do you deal with it? Or if it keeps going, what do you do? Yeah, super interesting topic. I mean, for the past decade, I've heard that the market's going to crash, right? So, yeah. uh, let, let, what's your quick take on this? Uh, is the market in? Let's, let's start with Canada. Yeah, is Canada's housing market going to crash? Are we in a bubble? Okay, so this is this, this is my thoughts on the on the whole topic. Number one, I don't know. It seems like there's more people saying it will than there's not. Okay, um, and the problem with myself is I'm a I am a little bit jaded. So so you always refer to me as uh, cautiously optimistic because, and I feel the reason why I am actually cautiously cautiously optimistic is because I started during. Uh, the worst time to to start, especially with regards to Windsor. So to give a little bit of context, um, in 2008 or 2007, even when the, when, when things started to unravel in the housing crisis in the, you know, in the whole 08, whatever you want to call that housing crisis, um, Canada wasn't affected, but what ended up happening was all of that started to really kind of trickle down to our area because, the follow from that took out even other industries. And at the time, the auto industry in particular was really struggling. And yeah. uh, Windsor's heavily yeah. reliant on the automotive industry, historically, especially yeah. 08, 09. And then we still are. Like we're still, For we're, sure. we're still For pretty sure. heavily reliant on the auto industry. We're starting to diversify quite a bit. But back then, it was like literally probably what? 90% or something along those lines. It, Probably. I, I, I'm just taking, I'm throwing a dart right now, Honestly, but yeah, yeah. it was it's huge. A significant yeah. portion and, of our And we had a lot of the big three plants here, which just still are a few, but there was multiple big three plants here. And then of um, the rest of the the sector, it was a ton of like tool and mold shop that, that, that were feeder plants. So yeah, it's a massive yeah. piece of our economy. So during that time, like Windsor was literally taking a shit kicking. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started buying real estate. And I was buying real estate for like, oh my God. I mean, I was buying real estate where I have real estate right now that I purchased for like literally $40,000 and it's literally worth like half a mil right now. So Same. Same. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and I had so many people telling me not to do that. Um, so... So you started in the in the crisis, pretty mm. much. Yeah, oh yeah. Now we've gone full 180. It's yeah. turned from crisis to one of the hottest markets in the country, probably yeah. in the world, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like Windsor, Ontario is probably up there. Probably. In the hottest markets in the world. 35% appreciation, 30% appreciation annually. Over not the even annually. For the past three years. I mean, like. Yeah, not, yeah. And, and not like, it wasn't even like 30% like in yeah. like three months. We're, we're like seeing it's some, kind of an yeah, outrageous. We're seeing some crazy stuff. It's, right it's now. So, actually too much. Like it doesn't. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. It's it's not it's not good. But anyways, getting back to the topic here. Um. So so the reason why I'm cautiously optimistic is because I know what it's like to go through something like that. So I'm always kind of like on guard a little bit. So which is not a bad thing. No, it's not. It's not a bad thing as long yeah. as it doesn't create inaction. No. And and from my perspective. I have been hearing ever since I've done that, 
that the market's going to crash. So it's been <laughs> in how, the middle yeah. of the crash. Yeah, people exactly. are calling for the crash. Yeah, so it's like it already crashed. Exactly. Bro. So so when I started buying, I was like, well, it can't get any worse. And if it even does, if I'm buying something for forty, what's it going to go to thirty? Mm. Like I'm really not even that. <laughs> like the even though the percentage is high, the dollar value is not that high. Like if you were True. to take a twenty percent further decline on forty thousand dollar house versus a four uh, a a twenty percent twenty five percent. Uh, crash now on a $500,000 house, we're talking a lot more money, right? It's, it's 10 times yeah, the amount of yeah. money. So um, my sentiment now is everyone was wrong from then till now. Decade, I was wrong. Sure. Yeah, I was wrong more than a decade even. Like, what is that, 13 years? So, and I was wrong from then till now. So who am I to say that, I know anything. And who are all these economists to say that they know anything? Yeah, they've like, been wrong too. Yeah, clearly been no significantly one, wrong. Yeah, clearly no one can predict yeah. anything. So what would I do in a market crash? I would do exactly what I did back in 2007, 2008, and I would buy more real estate. Mm-hmm. I would take advantage of the fact that it's coming down. And yeah, when the market more. crashes, it's a little bit different. But yeah. here's the thing. This is what people, this is the biggest hindrance for investors, especially beginners, is the fear of the market crash. Yeah that's always in somebody's mind prevents you from doing anything today. Yeah. So what would your advice be? Let's say you're brand new to like, you're not, you don't own any property. You're just getting into the market. Now you want to become a real estate investor Mm -hmm. with the market being as hot as it is. What would you like? Would you sit and wait for a market crash or would you still try to operate um, despite the competitive conditions of no, I, I would, I, I would, I would still try to operate for yeah. sure. And let's say you don't have the option of going and buying apartment buildings in the U.S., right? Yeah. Like you're a small-time investor, you're yeah. just getting started. Really, your only option is probably to buy in your own country, yeah, uh, maybe locally or whatever. But like, I think that's what people need to hear. What would you <clears> do <throat> right now, beginner investor in this market? I would still buy real estate. Yeah, and, how about this idea? And I would probably tend to buy uh, newer stuff right now to be honest with you i like it yeah i like it yeah or Um, and the reason why is um i i know what it's like to do like a really big value add and it takes a lot of resources take a lot of time takes a lot of time and the problem is right now the market's moving too fast where the opportunity cost of those resources and of that time may actually set you back a little bit yeah now would yeah so i guess the point here is that despite the fear of the market crash right you're cautiously optimistic you still wouldn't not act in no, this market. No, no, no. Now that's what people need to hear. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm, I would be cautiously optimistic and I would still want to buy stuff that actually worked. Mm-hmm. So I would have to come from a, some sort of perspective of investing or purchasing something that How was about a this? value add cash or something. Yeah, cash, cash flow, flow positive. positive. Or, I, th- I think, in, so I'm used to very good returns. So I, again, I've been doing this for like 13 years in this market. So I'm used to like, you know, double digit returns. So I've pivoted multiple times in this market. So I've gotten from, I've gone from single family homes and I've gone from, you know, only water. And then I've gone from industrial. Then I've gone from a little bit of development, then then significant value add where like literally I'm knocking shit down, keeping a wall so that I don't have to pay like redevelopment fees or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I've, I've gone like all over the place in order to chase those heavy returns. But that comes when you're a little more seasoned, right? If you're like literally a newbie investor. Yeah, limited yeah, capital. Yeah, most, yeah. most people yeah. don't have the resources yeah. to be doing. Like, are we uh, talking like first time investor? 
Yeah, or just a small time, right? Maybe you own one yeah. or two properties, right? Yeah. Or or you're just thinking about getting in the market. Because these articles, the, the market crash articles, that's always out there. Keep in yeah. mind, guys, it's not just because the market's hot. This is always in play. Even mm-hmm. in the middle of a crash, they're talking about another crash, right? Yeah, going so, down, whatever. Yeah, so for every year for the past decade, you can go, or 13 years, 14 years, forever, you can go back and find that the market was about to crash. Mm. Now, the point here that we're trying to make is, A, don't let it stop you from making moves, mm-hmm. and B, stop trying to predict it. Yeah. Now, what we can do, in my opinion, is you can prepare mentally for when the market does crash or, yeah. or drop or correct or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. And that's, that's, I think, one of the most important things. Yeah. So for me personally, I'm always a buyer of cash flowing real estate mm-hmm. in any market. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's up, down, or sideways. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking to buy. There will not be a time where I, when I go for a whole year without buying a piece of property. Mm-hmm. Even if the world is melting down, when it happens, right? Mm-hmm. It's next year or 10 years from now. When that, in the middle of that meltdown, I will be buying real estate because mm-hmm. I don't know when it's going to stop. Yeah. Now, um, if you remember at the start of the pandemic, um, you know, things were a little bit, a little bit hazy, right? Mm-hmm. How many of my clients do you think made a move in, uh, at the start of that pandemic? Let, let's say March of, of last year. A lot or none? Zero. <laughs> no, nobody, yeah, yeah. right? Because, yeah. because it's, it's a scary time. Yeah. Now, I didn't buy anything either. I just happened to not be in a position to buy. But I was telling people, right? Like, keep a level head here. This is what we wanted. We didn't like 20 offers on a property. Now we don't have that, right? It was. It only lasted for a month, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know it was only going to last for a month. I thought it could go for a year or two. Yeah. But I was telling people and myself to uh, look for opportunities in this mm-hmm. market. This is what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you should be preparing now for when it does happen. Because a lot of people talk, and I used to do this myself in the stock market. Oh, when the market crashes, I'm going to be a buyer. I'm going to make so many moves. But when it actually happens and things are actually scary, like the old me, I didn't buy yeah, anything. People get scared. It was too yeah, scary for sure. I so had I, to like yeah develop. So 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 in 2020, I never bought more real estate than I ever did in my life. Despite so, the yeah. hot market, despite the calls for well, the crash. Well, yeah, it, it it was more so like actually right when COVID was popping off, that's when I, I did the most deals that, in terms of dollar value, mm-hmm. the most deals that I've ever done in ever. And I'm, and I'm actually happy that I did because like, shit, that stuff's double now, like literally yeah. in a year. Yeah. So um, like some warehouses and stuff like that. And I bought a couple warehouses. I bought a, that apartment building. Um, I bought a couple houses. I bought, you know, so, so I, I bought a significant amount of, you know, I bought yeah. a, a quarter of my portfolio. And that's a great, like that's, yeah. Like that's so much easier said than done. Yeah. And everybody thinks they can do it. And, and the reason why I did it was because I, I saw the hesitation out in the market and I was like, okay, well, this is going to reduce competition right now. And so I'm going to get in. That's the key. Yeah. So anybody listening to this, you have to understand that you're not as tough as you think you are, no. most of us. And you have to prepare for when the crash comes. And when it does come, you have to fight your own emotions yeah. for, in general yeah. to go and make moves because it's going to be harder than you think. Yeah. And and I, I think the people that talk like that, that are like, oh, you know, I'm going to do it when the market crashes. Number one, you're not. Okay. <laughs> if you and haven't done it no, now, up exactly. till now, yeah. you're, not you're likely not going yeah, to do it when sure. it crashes. And, and it, those people say that shit because it makes them feel better. Gives them an excuse not to make a move right now. I used to do the same shit when, when uh, you know, uh, I didn't want to buy an exotic car or I didn't have the money to buy an exotic car. I'd be like, oh, fuck. Uh, I'm never going to buy an exotic car. You can't even drive that Waste shit around Windsor. Well, the roads are too fucked up. Yeah. Well, I got Winter multiple ones now and the roads aren't too fucked up. <laughs> yeah. The reason why I was saying it because I couldn't fucking afford it. Yeah. So it made me feel better to make an excuse as to why not to have it. Yeah. So 
the the people that are saying, "Well, I'm just going to wait for the market to crash," is exactly the it's same people. It's an excuse yeah. disguised as uh, "I'm smarter than everybody." Yeah, else. it's the same reason why it's yeah. the same reason why people hate on people online or on social media. 100%. Makes themselves feel better. Absolutely, right? Yeah, yeah, just yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like that's it. Yeah, if you can admit to yourself that you're scared, and, yeah. and it the is reason scary. the reason you haven't, whether or not it's a crash or not, yeah. like even in a you know sane market before all this, or even in a hot market, the reason that you're not making moves is generally fear. It's almost For always sure. fear. Yeah, if you don't have enough capital, then you're afraid to go get enough capital or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, but but it generally boils down to fear, and then mm-hmm. it's packaged in excuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's hating on rich people or it's hating on people that are making moves or the market's going to crash mm-hmm. and everybody that's buying now is stupid and I'm smart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times like I'm driving around, right? I'm looking at these big projects that are happening uh, all across the US, all across Canada. Developers are putting in like major condo projects. Uh, there's like five or six condo projects going on in Windsor. And I'm thinking to myself, either they're stupid and they're they're the idiots, these multi-million dollar uh, development companies or everybody else is stupid. Mm-hmm. That's calling for a crash. Like like Joe that works at Costco is stupid. Yeah. Like which one? Who am I going to yeah. follow? Yeah. Right? Now the typically fear seems to sell more than positivity for mm-hmm. some reason, for sure right? It does, yeah. So if 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 you have a fear message and a positive message, it seems like most people will gravitate towards the fear one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's Sure. You're I, I know I used to. When, when do you really yeah. actually see the the newspaper having more like positive articles than, than the negative. It, it's, it's never, it's it's never. Ne- there's it's never, never more positive. No, than there it's 90, 10 at the yeah, most. It's 90, 10 negative. Yeah, it's always um, the crash. Now, how do we even like, what even is a bubble? Like, how do we define bubble? Because bubble is such a common term. Mm-hmm. Everything's always a bubble, by the way. Bitcoin's a bubble. This is a bubble. Yeah. This stock's a bubble. Everything's a bubble all the time. Yeah. What is a bubble? I think like, if you understand what actually a bubble is, then maybe it can help you navigate things. So this is how I would define a bubble is, is it's a point when there's oversupply of something and there's an undersupply of demand, like there's not enough demand, yeah. right? Then you're in a bubble because, because there's not enough um, to absorb, right? Like yeah. uh, a bubble will inflate yeah. as long as there's enough air, right? Yeah. And if you run out of air, the bubble deflates. Well, yeah. in, in Ontario right now and in Windsor specifically, how can it be a bubble if there's more demand than supply. Yeah, there's not enough supply. So there, 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 there's no justification for an actual bubble. That's that's what I mean. Yeah. So that the term bubble is just thrown around. Yeah, and, and, I, and I have a feeling that um, we're in a scenario where I don't, think you, I don't think you can actually say Canada is in a bubble. I think bubbles are more, way more specific to submarkets I love this. even. Not just I love even this. markets. Hyper-local. Yes, they're very Hyper-local local because- because you you can you can fix a bubble you know Canada wide like that's not a problem like for example you know Windsor's kind of in a in a in a unique scenario here where we're we're kind of like almost surrounded by water so we can't it's hard for us to actually expand there's almost like I guess you can expand internally here but you can only almost expand to the north mm. right so so we're a little bit restricted on land here but um yeah, I think a bubble is like super hyper local. Like there's a lot of like localized drivers that will predict whether or not there's a bubble. So to label like Canada in a housing bubble or housing whatever, Which I, people, I don't think is accurate. And, and, and here's why people do it because prices go up. So it automatically is a bubble without yeah. looking at any fundamentals. Yeah. That's a, that's just stupid. Yeah, we have, a, we have a it's simple fundamental here of economics. Yeah. There's still demand, right? 
from and there's no supply from qualified buyers yeah. that have good jobs and income and the money mm-hmm. to buy. Otherwise, the banks wouldn't lend to them. Yeah, there are qualif- enough. There are more qualified buyers than there are houses for sale. Mm-hmm. Now, it's simple. Now, I don't know if there's more. I don't know if there's more buyers right now. I actually, I, I happen to think that there might be. There, there's probably more investors right now because real estate's absolutely hot right now, like as an investment vehicle. But well, that's I, in the I, category I, of buyer to me, for sure. Right? They 100%. absorb supply. I, I, I agree. Yeah. All I'm saying is, is like. Is there more buyers currently right now than there were before? Or is it a simple fact of like, there's just way less supply and the same amount of buyers? You well, because I mean? the buyers, the previous buyers have absorbed all the supply. And that's fine. And well, what I'm trying to say is like, I, I, I think supply is so dramatically restricted. It's creating this environment. Yeah, I don't know that a, there's like millions of more buyers in the country. I don't think that that's necessarily, or maybe because we're getting a lot of immigration. There's a lot of factors that are, you know, coming into play, but um, fact of the matter is, I, I feel like the largest proponent of this is the severe restriction of Absol- supply. Absolutely, yeah. right now. So, 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 how do you have a bubble when there's not enough supply yeah. now, and there is no future um, increase of supply that yeah. we can even foresee? At least fast enough. At least fast enough, or yeah. affordable enough. Yeah. Like you can't like it's mm-hmm. this is we're we're five to ten years away from catching yeah. up to supply. Yeah, so maybe so I've I've seen multiple articles of a, a, in the U.S. where uh, reading about certain submarkets in Florida or whatever, and 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 different submarkets that got crushed in two thousand eight, where there was oversupply, and that oversupply has just now been absorbed, maybe a couple years back. So, so it now takes they're, a, yeah they're yeah, in the same. So problem. now it takes a long time to. Like, think about it. Like, it doesn't, you, you can't just like pop a house up overnight. Like, you can't just like go to Home Depot, buy a house and throw it on a slab. Like, you yeah. can't do that. So Permits, environmental yeah. studies, this study, that's the- like, Then when you have the, the government policies in place that we have, where there's like all kinds of red tape, it just slows everything down. Mm. Like, and then I, throw in COVID. On, yeah, on, on Old Tecumseh here, like I drive by it quite a bit. There, there, there's, a, there's a place, there, there's a subdivision that's literally been sitting there for six months. Like literally sitting there for six months because the government won't let them go below grade. Start digging. Delayed, delayed, delayed. Delayed, yeah. like nonstop. You know, so it's been probably there six months, but they were ready to put a shovel in the ground mm-hmm. months ago. Yeah. But this lockdown now uh, is preventing them from doing it yeah. again. And that's the beautiful thing about Canada, depending on your perspective. Yeah. The, the, such heavy ta- red tape, mm-hmm. such heavy taxation, such like such a burden to do anything yeah. and build and such delays and bureaucracy mm-hmm. to get shovels in the ground that we are always in a constrained supply. And just yeah. like we talked about the hospital system last mm-hmm. week or a couple weeks ago, because of the socialist system, it's always tight. Yeah. It's always yeah, not you, enough. You, you even said the other day, you even said the, the other day that how far did you go back? A uh, decade. A decade. You went back a yeah. decade and every single year they were calling for a health crisis because of yeah, the, 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 the- Ontario hospitals were yeah. always at peak capacity. Yeah. Always, every year. This is not new. And yeah. it's because that's how they run the ship. They run yeah. it a tight ship. And what I'm saying is Canada and the socialist countries in general always run a tight mm-hmm. ship for business. They don't allow a bunch of competition and for housing. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good thing when you invest intelligently in the right markets mm-hmm. in a socialist uh, country, it can be mm-hmm. very beneficial. Yeah. So, um, so I guess, yeah. I mean, if you, if that's your term of how you define a bubble, then I can't see how we are in a bubble. Now, no. it could become a bubble. How could yeah. it become a bubble? Right? Like we just talked about. Either you increase supply mm-hmm. in excess of demand, mm-hmm. which we can't foresee that happening, no. or you limit demand that it can't match the supply. 
Mm. Now that's that's the one thing that would scare me is if the government comes in with a heavy hand and does something stupid, which again they have they've talked about the opposite. They're keeping rates low for a year. Yeah, and I don't think they want to crash the economy. No. But that's the only thing that I could see is heavy government intervention here to limit demand is the only way that this creates a bubble. Like increase rates dramatically increase or something rates like dramatically. that. But they've already come out and said that it's not going to happen. Um, the, the one, the, you know, the government basically, would, like, it, it's pretty evident that we are going to get a tax hike for sure. They got to pay for all the shit that they're, you know, all these, all these handouts and all, all, the, all this money they're pumping in the economy. They're, they're paying for it somehow. And they're, they're going to be, they're going to be taxing everybody. Well, they did the luxury. Yeah. So they just passed their most recent, whatever. What? Um, budget. Oh, And yeah, yeah, yeah. they didn't really do much about the housing market. No. Right. I posted about it the other day. Yeah. They, they probably don't know what the fuck to do with they it. They don't. They don't. And if they talked about capital gains on your personal residence, that would be political suicide. That's why they didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Every Canadian's wealth, yeah. they, they've built up their wealth over 30 years and then you're going to tax them randomly. Yeah. And you're going after the wrong people. Yeah. So they implemented a 1% luxury tax on boats and cars. 10, like, 10, 10 or 20. 10, 10 or 20%. Oh whichever, yeah. Whichever's big. lower. Yeah. It was something whichever, actually more Whichever is higher. I don't remember exactly which one it is. Maybe yeah. uh, you guys can look it up. But uh, it's it's something like along the lines of like over over a hundred grand or the full amount. I can't even remember what it is. But yeah, what I, it is. you're, it's you're crazy, right. Though, yeah. yeah, cars, boats. So it's kind of uh, yeah, you know, it's, whatever. It's again, uh, yeah. you know, just going after people, which I'm actually not opposed to. Yeah, it's not like here's the thing. Here's what I would ra- much rather see. Everybody's taxed the same, no matter what your income is. You got a twenty percent income tax or whatever the case is. And if you want to go buy that really expensive thing. Then you pay more tax on the luxury type shit because it's a fucking choice and not forced by the government. Like that's what I feel is a better scenario. So, yeah, so if if Scotty Saver wants to save all his money and Dan wants to go buy another fucking Lamborghini, I'm I know I'm going to be paying a heavy tax mm-hmm. on that. But you shouldn't pay the same tax if we make the same because you don't have you don't want to go buy that car. Mm-hmm. So that, that I actually feel like it's a I, I like that system better. I still don't like it. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I still actually don't fucking like it. But if you're gonna have a system in place and still have to tax people like up the ass, I feel like having a cho- uh, a system based off choice is is a much better system. Yeah, actually, I don't mind it that much either. It's not yeah. overly burdensome, and you don't have to go exactly. buy, like you said, right? Yeah, you can exactly. factor it into whether the, or not- the people that really yeah. want it. Fifty grand on a half million dollar car is not going to stop them. Mm. True, They're still going to buy that fucking car. Yeah. Now there are consequences to stuff like that, right? When you like, like maybe all of a sudden you have a manufacturer of, of luxury goods in Canada and now all of a sudden their demand comes down because of this. And then all of a sudden they say, well, I'm not operating in Canada anymore. Screw I this. Agree. I'm going to go elsewhere. So there yeah. are consequences that people yeah. don't understand. Now I don't think that's overly burdensome or it's mm. going to cause that, but people maybe need, we don't, it's, you it's don't possible. know. You know what I mean? And, and we just, there are a lot of people that buy those fucking cars that should not be buying them. So <laughs> that, if now all of a sudden true. that car is 20, 20, you know, 20 to $50,000 more expensive. It might, it might, that might take it, a, it, it might take it a could, shit. Yeah. Kicking. And then it could affect things down there. It could For be sure. a chain reaction that sure. again, the government doesn't yeah. foresee. And we, we, I posted something today that GM is opening up a battery manufacturing facility in Mexico uh, they just announced it. And people yeah. are like, oh, these jobs should be in Canada. I'm like, yeah, they should be, but we don't have a business-friendly government. No, That's the result. Exactly. They, you need to incentivize these businesses. You need to reduce taxes for them. They need to be profitable or they will go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it, and that's the consequence. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's why all of our jobs are outsourced to Yeah, I, I was China part of that when I worked at TPT else. at GM. I, I saw what happened. I saw non-stop. what happened. The union was so outrageous and would protect people like crazy. They were paying outrageous wages in those plants. And... um 
And, and, and uh, you know how many, you know how many times I would just like walk by like areas and people would just be like sleeping. <laughs> like it, it was crazy. Like literally sleeping. I, I, people would make beds. They would hide beds in like racks in, in there. Like it was crazy. And then, and then, and then when, when GM is like, Hey, you know, give us incentives and we'll stay here and they don't do it. And then the union is up their ass. And then Mexico or the US or whatever is like, oh yeah, come here. We'll give you 20, uh, 20 years free tax or free property tax. What are you going to do? Like, of course you're going to leave. Either that or potentially go out of business. Yeah. And, and go you're, bankrupt. You're, exactly. You're going to fight same for thing. your own life. I actually yeah. looked at a building the other day. Or sorry, uh, what was it? It was yesterday. I looked at a building yesterday, that JD Norman plant. Okay. I looked at that plant yesterday. They went out of business because uh, the, the auto manufacturer that was making plant uh, parts there uh, ended up opening a plant or sending that part manufacturing uh, to the U.S. And that was it. Simple. They just closed the plant up right Simple. there, uh, went into receivership and done. Boom, done, yeah. they're out. Yeah, so again, this is the danger of, yeah. we're getting a little bit off topic yeah, here, yeah, but the are. danger of taxing uh, business owners and wealthy, yeah. like there, you can do it a little bit, but if yeah. you do it too much, yeah. they're going to have no choice but to leave or possibly- Yeah, and they uh, have, and have the means to do so. So um, with regards to the housing buzzle, bubble- oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think what we were talking about there is government policy yeah. could potentially limit demand, exactly, which would make the bubble. There's no more air to keep inflating it, and then it comes yeah. down. Right? But, but I, I still do not think like it would have to be absolutely dramatic. It would, yeah, we would ha- like. Here's the thing: because Canada's banking system is so tight, it would take a catastrophe to crash yeah. our ban- our system, like a, a legitimate catastrophe, like a significant impact. That's mm. why when people say, "Oh, like." This plant went out of business in Windsor, costing us a hundred jobs. Is that going to crash the market? I'm like, no, it's not big enough. Yeah, because for sure. because there's a twenty percent uh, baked in crash, right? The banks require twenty percent down, or it's CMHC insured. CMHC is a crown corporation that's insuring those. More. If you had a bunch of defaults, CMHC has so much money, like in their bank account, to like cover. Money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like to cover yeah. those defaults for yeah. for people that aren't putting twenty percent down. Yeah. There's a war chest. Mm-hmm. to go and attack those places. And then on top of that, you have investors. Again, we've been in a 10-year bull run. People like yourself that are just, you have a big bunch of money that you could deploy. If 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 a little shock comes and prices dip 7, 8, 9% or something like that, you don't think there's going to be a pool of investors, not just in Canada, but globally. That's, that not, even, that's not even enough. Like That's like, what I'm saying. It, that, that percentage is, is not even enough. That, and that, like overall, I'll put it to you this way. In, in my eyes, it's not enough. In the U.S., when that whole crash happened in 2008, I believe the entire over overall the United States uh, real estate took an eight percent hit. So let's. Just, but when you have bad loans, an eight percent hit is big. That, that's, that's true. The yeah, it's a different kind of and, game. And, and our yeah. banking system does not allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, and the U.S. is such a big market that like yeah. they could have had oversupply all across the U.S. Like that's a major shock. Our market is so tight all yeah. across Canada because of the reasons we talk about. Yeah. It's harder to crash this system. It is, yeah. It's harder to crash a socialist system. Yeah. And you have a government that always seems to step in to bail yeah. everybody out. Yeah. Um, whether businesses or individuals mm-hmm. to help them pay their mortgage payments. And people keep saying, well, you know, it could crash this. You think there's going to be a bunch of homeless people walking around the streets <laughs> because the government's going to allow yeah. um, people to not pay their rents or to pay their mortgages. And like, you know, they, I just mm-hmm. don't think it's, it's super likely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a hard system to crash. It's very, it really is very it's, difficult. It's, it's very difficult yeah. to crash this. And system. even in like even in the the height of the crash, I think the, the unemployment rate, you know, was ten or eleven percent or something like that. Average. I don't know if that was for Windsor, but that still means there's a ninety percent employment rate mm-hmm. 
And that still means that people are working. Like the economy doesn't stop, right? Mm-hmm. Things don't just go to zero. It just, it contracts, right? Yeah. And it's kind of usually a temporary thing. And also in those previous crashes, like the internet wasn't as big. It wasn't mm-hmm. as global. Like there wasn't, we're in you know, a global market now. We're in a global market yeah. now. So almost like if somebody crashes over here, like the rest of the globe can step in to yeah. fill that void. And the only the only thing that, well, the only few things that I, I am unsettled about is number one, the amount of debt that Canada has gone into. And I say that loosely. I'd like to touch on that. Yeah, I, I say that loosely. So and, let's, and I know let's, where you're going with this. Yeah, so Canada. I did talk to I did talk to somebody that really understands this very well. All right, let's let well let's hash it out. Yeah. I don't know yeah. everything, and but, I don't know I don't know enough. But he did say it is a very big concern. Yeah. So Canada yeah. Canada has one of the highest debt ratios yeah. in the country. Debt to GDP, I think, is yeah. the ratio that they use. Yeah. But Canadians' debt is almost all household debt. It's almost mm. all mortgage debt. Mm. And statistically speaking, Canadians don't default on the mortgage. They don't go buy, generally speaking, yeah. stupid shit. And then not make their mortgage payments. So they'll pay their mortgage before anything else. Um, whereas in the US, it was kind of like, well, I have my mortgage. I'm going to default on that mortgage and go buy a boat. Or <laughs> I'm going to buy a boat and have this mortgage. Like it was a different mentality. Mm-hmm. It was like people were running stupid, just a stupid mm-hmm. mentality. Mm-hmm. So the, our debt levels include mortgage debt. A lot of countries don't factor it in that way. They mm-hmm. won't include mortgage debt or housing debt. So the with prices rising 20 or 30% a year, of course our debt levels are going to rise, but it's all mortgage debt. Mm, you get yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. And yeah. I could have 50% equity, right? Because I took my money that I just sold my $400,000 bungalow. I bought an $800,000 house. I put $400,000 down. I had no debt before. And now I have 400,000 mm. in debt, but my ratios are still very good. Yeah. So the debt, like I keep reading, I've been reading this for a decade. Canada's debt levels are too high. They keep rising. I'm like, yes, of course they do. Because of inflation, prices of houses keep rising. Mm. Debt levels are going to continue to mm. rise. But it's not necessarily that. It's debt to equity ratio. It's debt service coverage ratio. That's important. And mm. I don't know those metrics, but I'm just saying, you can't just say our debt is rising and it's going to crash. Mm. We need to look more deeply into it. I haven't done any more research. I'm just yeah. saying people just keep looking at the the number yeah. on the debt without yeah. considering other things. Yeah. So I get. I guess the 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 unsettling scenario about that is, which I would agree with you that we're we're essentially more conservative. We don't like blow our brains out getting into stupid shit over here in this country. But nonetheless, we are in a really weird time where there has been a decent amount of people. And if you look at the amount of people that ended up losing their jobs back when all this came down in like that era. Um, to, to how many people are essentially like out of work now and could potentially become out of work when all of this kind of like goes away and like unfolds. Um, whether or not those people are capable of paying that debt in terms of like mortgage debt is another story. That's the way that this guy's painting it because of- uh, you How know, many people, I would like to know the actual number, how many people are at risk of default and also prices are up so high mm. that they have so much equity, even if they had to fire sale, they would still be up money. And then well, this, this, this is, this is more about like, if, if, if shit actually starts collapsing once, you know, certain things unfold, because we're still kind of like, the problem is right now is we're still kind of in like a really weird fucking like, like bouncing act right now. Mm-hmm. Like the fallout from, all of the last year still hasn't like unfolded yet. And that's, that's what the unknown is. Like I, this guy's not like, Oh yeah, yeah everything's going to come crashing down. That's not what he's saying. He's like, he, he doesn't think at all that's going to happen actually, but he, he does. There, there is a concern 
with the amount of debt that the country has. It, it's, a, it's a concerning thing. Does he think everything's going to come crashing down? No, that's not what he's saying. In, in fact, what he thinks is going to happen is, so, so this guy is a, a tax accountant. He's a partner in a tax firm. He's super smart. You, you know him. Um, super smart guy. Um, what he said is what you'll see more than likely. Uh, um, what you'll see more than likely is just the government literally just taxing us and they'll just make up the money that way. And that's literally it. Uh, that I can see. Yeah, that's it. Like that's all he thinks is actually going to happen. Mm. It's shit. And what people actually don't understand is that you know, that's happening across the board. If you're, it doesn't matter if you make $10,000 a year or $10 million a year. When you go walk into Walmart or you go walk in anywhere, you go buy something, you go buy food or whatever, you're paying the same amount of food. They're not asking you at the register like, hey, how much money do you make a year? Oh, well, you get a different price. That's this not so happening, important. right? This is so important yeah. for people so, to so, understand. Yeah, so, so the problem is, is you have a scenario where all these people are taking advantage of all these government handouts and all this, all this stuff. And you know, everybody's blowing their brains up. Be like, Oh, free money. It's not free money. We're all fucking paying it back at some point. Okay. Whether it be, whether it be, even though if you're, uh, you know, middle to lower, uh, the, on the lower, uh, spectrum of the scale in terms of income, that's fine. You're going to be paying less income tax, but when you go buy shit and now fucking Big Mac at McDonald's is like literally $10 or $15 now, because you wanted to take advantage of all these programs, you're getting hit too but you're still making significantly less. You're actually, even though, you're, even though you're, your income is kind of rising like this, shit is like skyrocketing so much faster than what you're making. The percentage of your earnings can't keep up with Love inflation yeah. when, you, when you introduce yes. these kind and of projects or policies the into the market. It's not the business's fault. No, it's, it's not. not the business's fault. It's the policies that started from the top, yeah. generally from the government, that have trickled down and the businesses have no choice. They're going to raise prices. And then again, the wealthy people are fine. It's the people at the bottom that end up hurting the 100%. most. 100%. And that, so, so what's the fault? Okay, so let's say that kind of does play out because I can agree with that. I think that's going to happen. Uh, what's what, going like to be- inflation and so, like, is that what you're saying? Well, what's going to be the fallout in terms of the house, uh, like real estate, I guess, in, in Canada, right? Um, all oh, I sudden- think it's going to keep going. I think I think it I think it's going to keep going. Yeah. The one thing that I'm kind of wondering about is if the government will step in and put a ceiling on rent and stuff like that. That's the one thing that I didn't think. I remember I, I brought this up to you like a year ago, and you were like, "No, no, no, I can't, I can't ever see that happening." But now I can kind of like, like, where's it going to go? Mm-hmm. Like, at what point are you going to buy a house for say like a million or seven fifty now, and then that house still needs to pay for itself? So anybody renting that house is going to be what four grand. Like you can't pay that. It doesn't make sense. So at some point I, I do feel like the government will step in and they're going to do some stupid shit when they could have just controlled the scenario from the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, we talked about these, like see, even some of these policies, like we were talking about this the other day where it was like, uh, because like, because our government is so strict about um, not being able to kick tenants out in mm-hmm. Ontario, like it's very pro tenant. Mm-hmm. Like I was just, somebody brought this up to me the other day where it's like, well, that means I can't take a chance on anybody. Yeah, for sure. Like I can't take a chance on somebody with a 450 credit score. No. I can't because yeah. I won't be able to get that person out. So mm-hmm. it actually, uh, that's one of those other socialist policies that ends up sometimes hurting that lower uh, income person who maybe went through a rough time mm-hmm. and they come to me and say, hey, you know, I'm cleaning up my life. It's not whatever. Yeah. Sorry, man, I can't take a chance on you. Yeah. I can only help the the wealthy person with a yeah. 750 credit score. Exactly. Sorry. And again, because- like, you know, in the U.S., in, in certain states, if you have a bad tenant, within two weeks, they're gone. 
If yeah. you need 14 days notice, gone. Yeah. And if you don't, within a month, the, sh- uh, the sheriff's there and yeah. you're picking so them up. So in the, in the U.S. for non-payment, it's seven days. Seven days. Yeah, in, in some cases, especially even for Section 8, when you have subsidized, uh, you know, subsidized housing, it's literally for non-payment, seven days. Mm-hmm. And if it's for something else where you're in breach of the lease, it's 30. Yeah. And what was it too? Like if they don't move out, <laughs> then the sheriff comes, then all their contents you get to keep yeah, as well. You get, you get to keep them and you are not eligible for the subsidized, you know, housing uh, for section eight until you actually pay your bad debt. That's amazing. That, like yeah. it's crazy. It's such, so, so it would allow you as a landlord to yeah. say, okay, you know what? I can, I can lower my standards here a little bit. Yeah. Arguably section eight at this point over in the U S which is like, you know, almost like our uh, Ontario works uh, uh, system here. I, I don't know. I can't remember if that's actually what it is. It, it's almost arguably a better scenario than any other scenario right now, because there actually is a mandate in the U.S. where you actually can't. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's certain states now where the states have to be open, but um, they they don't allow evictions right now. So you're essentially in bed with the U.S. government in terms of a tenant, and they always pay. So it's kind of a good scenario to actually be in, but it's uh, it's definitely more landlord friendly over there than there is here. And and yeah, you you are right. It's going to affect the lower. Uh, income earning people because yeah, I'm not going to take a chance on you. And then the government fucked everything up again for them. Like they, they, you can't, you, you people have to stop relying on the government. If they just stopped relying on the government, we would just be such a better country. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you, and, and, and people on across the spectrum of uh, earnings would, would have a, such a better life. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the government has its place. Of course, there's certain social yeah, policies they, that have yeah, to be in place, certain sure. protections, yeah. some 100, safety nets 150%, somewhere, yeah. but it's, you know, it's you too slide much. too far on the scale and it yeah. ends up hurting the lower. It hurts and, the people, people that they intend on helping. Yeah. Like, and like, I say that loosely and I yeah. say intend. Let, let's talk about the, uh, the 1031 exchange in the U S that's Biden. Biden's now, um, yeah. Trying to get rid he's of, trying to get rid of the 1031 yeah. exchange. So quick, quick, uh, breakdown of the 1031 exchange is if you if you own a property and you sell it you have like a something something along the lines of 130 days to move that uh the the, the proceeds from that purchase or the, from that sale into a new purchase without being taxed without without being taxed right yeah. so the fuck so, is that just my alarm so <laughs> if we uh, if we try if we if you dispose of a property in, in Canada obviously immediate capital gains yeah. uh, an investment property immediate yeah. capital gains tax immediate 50% of 50% of the profit yeah it depends tax. if you're if you hold it corporately or if you hold it uh, personally yeah. yeah so for the most small investors um immediate tax in the US what what's the main thing as we've been looking more and more in the US almost all the properties that we inquire about seem to be well the seller's selling it because they're 1031 exchanging it a lot of, a lot of them. Yeah. A lot I mean, yeah, a, not, a solid, not, like, yeah, solid, like 20, 30% a, a of decent, the properties that I so, come across. And that's the beautiful thing. The 1031 yeah. exchange creates liquidity in the market. Yeah. It keeps those properties trading and liquid, yeah. which keeps prices down. It's deflationary. It yeah. In Canada, guess what? I don't think I'm ever going to sell any of my properties. <laughs> Why would I? Yeah. I'll just refinance it tax-free, take my money out, and then keep the property and go buy another one. Yeah. Why would I dispose of the property yeah. and pay a 50%? Literally everything the Canadian capital. government does creates this narrative of a, of a bubble. Yeah. Like literally, <laughs> they, like literally everything they do yeah. essentially creates it. Um, when you, you, yeah. you even have a scenario where like, okay, so say for example, they do actually pass that 1031 exchange thing. What's going to happen then to the housing market? I think it'll be a lot less liquid, a lot less supply, and yep. a lot more demand for for the same product. And what's going to happen to the value? Prices are going to go up. Yep. And cap rates are going to go down. Yep. 
and people that were would have sold won't sell, and yep. they'll just hold on to it and yep. refinance. And we'll it. have the exact same scenario. And, and it's going to restrict supply when rent, when rent prices rise. Rents have to rise in yep. correlation. Hurts the little man more than anybody. Yep. They their plan to target the wealthy people Doesn't, again hurts yep. not the wealthy people but the people. Yeah, if down anything, below. it benefits the wealthy people because they're holding their property now. Their property is skyrocketing in value. And it's, it's the point. people that can't afford to own property now have to pay more in rent. So more of their income is going to rent. So, true. so now it, it reduces their quality of life. Like it's just a fucking shit show. Yeah, it really amazing. is. Like it's an absolute but fucking shit show. it sells so well. I, I, it I agree. sells so well. It sells so well yeah. because you're being promised a bunch of bullshit. Mm. The and reason you, 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 yeah. you, prices you, in Florida are so cheap relatively and the reason prices in the US have risen 50% in the past decade and Canada is up 150% is because of liquidity. Mm-hmm. It's because the market is liquid and there's enough supply and they, they build enough supply to, to get ahead of the curve or at least mm-hmm. stay, stay uh, with the curve. That's why, that's mm-hmm. why prices are low. When you introduce blocks, barriers, red tape, bureaucracy, taxation, illiquidity, that's what happens is prices go higher and mm-hmm. people get priced out, especially the lower end people. Rich get Rich will be fine. It'll be probably more than fine. Yeah. So I just want people to understand this because a lot of people are saying, like, "Oh, ten thirty one has changed. That means I won't buy U.S. real estate." And I'm thinking the opposite. I'm like, "No, I like I'm going to buy U.S. real estate the same way. I don't <laughs> care if there's a ten thirty one exchange or not. Sure. It's nice, you know. I think that we yeah. can take advantage of it, but we could also take advantage if there is a no ten thirty one exchange. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Wealthy entrepreneurial people or just business minded people, we can pivot. Whatever the government throws at us, we'll just pivot. I'll yeah. just start a new corporation and do this. I'll do this. I'll mm-hmm. take advantage of this trend. It's generally the the middle class people or people that don't care to get mm-hmm. you know financially free or invest or they just live in their lives. They're the ones that don't pivot. They just yeah. kind of um, take whatever. Yeah. The only people that would yeah. actually even say that if the, if people are saying they're not going to buy U.S. real estate now because the 1031 exchange is, is going they away. They never done it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, they, number one, they wouldn't have never done it. And number two, they just don't understand the long-term play yeah. and how advantageous it is if they actually go and do that. Mm. They're fucking themselves. <laughs> so they just actually don't understand. Yeah. Like how, what, they what, don't actually understand like simple economics and especially yeah, real estate. And a good, a good analogy for this is like Bitcoin, right? There's a yeah. very limited supply of Bitcoin. People think, well, how is Bitcoin $57,000 US today for one Bitcoin? Well, because there's only 20 million of them and it's illiquid. People aren't selling them, right? So if I own a couple of Bitcoin, I'm not selling any of them. So there's actually only a few million that even trade on the market. So when you have everybody fighting over over a few million coins, like that's what drives prices up and up and up, right? Demand mm-hmm, and supply. Mm-hmm. It's an illiquid limited asset. That's why prices skyrocket. Mm-hmm. In Canada, we have an illiquid limited asset in housing because of all the red tape. And that's going to, that, that's one of the reasons we love the US, by the way, is because it's about to happen. What's <laughs> happened in Canada yeah. over the past decade is just starting out in the US. Yeah, Year one of the Biden administration they're going after everybody. They're going after all the stuff that we talked about. They're going right? after, they're, they're doing everything that Canada has done to create this scenario here. It's, yeah. Only they're in year one. Yeah. We're exactly. in year 10. Yeah. We're year, we, yeah. We're year 10. For so sure. we, yeah. we, we want to be in year one there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Take advantage. They of might that. even be a little deeper than year one, to be honest with you. Seems it certain, seems like maybe year two, maybe they're in year sure. two. It seems like it happened, started happening like a little bit last year when stuff started getting a little bit. Uh, maybe not. Maybe halfway. Well, through. certain things happened, but yeah. but you know, Trump was cutting taxes. He was cutting yeah. red tape. He was cutting bureaucracy. He was closing. Yeah. You know, limiting immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, not here to debate about immigration policies yeah. or not. Don't really care. All yeah. I'm saying is, which policy is best for real estate? Well, pro immigration, open borders is going to make my real estate more valuable. Yeah. 
look at Canada. Yeah. Like it's, it's exactly what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. that's why I call it year one is because federally, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, the yeah. previous administration was doing the opposite. They were yeah. increasing liquidity, decreasing taxation and burdens and barriers to mm-hmm. building and construction. And, uh, and then you factor in, you know, COVID was an, regardless of the administration, COVID's added further oh, yeah. restrictions and delays yeah. on everything. So it's kind of a, a perfect storm. But you, there, also, but- you also have certain policies in place too, where they're, it seems like they're pushing a certain narrative to continue those uh, restrictions. Yeah. So hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and so it's, it's yeah. not, and it doesn't seem like it's really, well, in the U S it's going like now they're starting to open up in the U S even in like the democratic States and stuff like that. But over in Canada, like we're, we're getting, we're, <laughs> they're opening up and we're actually at the, the, the heaviest part we've ever been further restricted. We're Somebody's, actually further restricted. Now. I was talking to a nurse the other day. Toronto is globally the most locked down city <laughs> in the world. That's, Toronto, Ontario. That is heartbreaking. And we're a first world country. Yeah, like that we're is a outrageous. first world country yeah. with an advanced medical system, and we can't handle um, this level of. This goes know. to show you how not good our medical system is. Yeah, COVID has literally exposed it. Yes, it, it was on the brink for a long time. Mm-hmm. This is most people won't look at it that way. No, right? they They'll won't. just think, yeah. "Oh, this is a disaster that yeah. nobody and, can and, and, no, and nobody will actually realize like it's been a disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, this it isn't like a, this isn't like a new thing. Like you mentioned, like the, the, the our medical system has always been on the brink of collapse. It was on a it was on the brink. And same with the housing system. We yeah. were on the brink. We we're always on the brink of a housing crisis. Yeah, always. And then you open up the immigration uh, to four hundred thousand people a year. That puts us over the edge. Yeah. And then you factor in COVID and people moving to different parts of the city where there's not enough supply. Mm-hmm. Then you pump in the red tape. Mm-hmm. That brink has been pushed. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is by government policy and some of it was mm-hmm. was from a, a disaster, a pandemic, right? Yeah. But it was on the brink. That's the problem. Yeah. Because of the way that our government runs the system. So mm-hmm. um, we don't have a business-minded government. Mm-hmm. We don't have people that understand the long-term implications of these things. But as individuals, we can foresee what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's why easily two or three years ago, a lot of people were saying like, oh shoot, like the market's about to explode here locally in Windsor because of X, Y, and Z, because mm-hmm. people are migrating here, because there's not enough houses. Like you can see it and you can take advantage of these policies, but most people won't, I think most people refuse to see them or they spin everything negatively, mm-hmm. right? Like the 1031 exchange could easily be spun negatively. Mm-hmm. Like my gut reaction is, oh shoot, they're taking away 1031 well, exchange. I, I think it's, I, it could be easily spun negatively because it, we're, we're such a, we're in a society where we need instant gratification, right? True. true. It, it's so hard for people to, to, to step back and look at, okay, well, if they actually take it away, what are the implications of it? And the implications are that it's going to restrict supply again because nobody's going to sell their shit. Or people are going to be way less, way more hesitant to sell their shit. Or they're also going to be adding a little bit more onto that value of the property because they're getting more taken off. Like it's it's not a good scenario. It, the only good scenario that it's it, that it that it will help is for people that own real estate because the yeah, values yeah, are going to skyrocket. I agree. So the gut reaction of people to certain policies is a lot of times just negative. But if you take a step back and and look at the policy long term, uh, you can usually find a positive in there and a way to. Uh, take advantage mm-hmm. of it. So is uh, the the market going to crash or is there a housing bubble in Canada? From here, here's what I'm, here's what I'll say right now. I don't foresee one. Mm-hmm. If something changes, right. If the, if, if the, cause what, what I've been, po- what I post and what I say now is based on the information that I have now. Mm-hmm. And so right now, no, because of the reasons that we talked about, if something changes, if the government comes in 
and does X, Y, and Z and raise rates, which I do not try to predict, mm -hmm. is you will get burned. You can mm -hmm. cost yourself a lot more money trying to predict crashes in government policy than you will make in an actual crash, right? So I'm when and if the information changes, then my strategy and my mentality and what I talk about will change. And again, I think people will say, oh, you're changing. You said this, this, and this. I'm like, yeah, but that's those were the cards yeah, we were dealt yeah, at course. the time. Yeah. It, I love that quote. You cost yourself more money trying to predict a crash than you would in an actual crash. Let's say the market crashes, you lose 20%. Here's the thing. If you own an asset or a stock or anything, your downside theoretically is 100%. You could lose 100% of your money. Mm -hmm. But your upside is infinite. Mm -hmm. You could make infinite money, especially in real estate, right? Because if it doubles in value, I can pull my money out. Now I have an infinite return. So 10, 20%, like 10% would be a market crash. That's just not even close to enough that would stop me. Like not, even not close. Even, no, I, I would be an absolute buyer. Yeah, I would be an absolute sure. buyer in the middle of the crisis. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I actually, like, again, I look forward to it. Yeah. And the same with the stock market. When the market crashes now, I get excited. I used to get scared. I get excited now. When the real estate market crashes and I'm buying things at a seven, eight, nine cap, you don't think I'm going to be happy? I, I won't be afraid anymore. Um, I know I used to be. So yeah, I guess for anybody listening to this, you better check yourself right now and start preparing mentally and emotionally for a crash, because I think the real, the real um, problem with a crash, it's not unemployment, it's not this and that, whatever, it's sentiment. People have a negative sentiment. They don't want to spend money. They're scared. They're afraid. They're, they're, they're not shopping at Walmart or buying stuff on Amazon. And that could last for a year, two, three years until the fear clears away. But people that aren't afraid can operate in that market like uh, significantly. It's like a higher barrier to entry now, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like you always talk about, you want higher barriers, mm -hmm. barriers to entry. Most people want lower barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. Most people get excited when the market's hot. They want to mm -hmm. jump on when the market's hot. I get excited when the market crashes, but I'm not going to sit on my laurels while the market's hot and do nothing either. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm going to operate in any market, especially for real estate, because it's the most valuable. Now, here's one thing I do know. In 20 years, prices will be higher than they are today. Mm -hmm. I do not know what it's going to be next year or the year after, or the year after that. But I do know in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, prices will be higher because of inflation and building costs and population growth. Very simple. How many, how many people do we know that waited literally 10 years because they were waiting for that crash and they never did anything? Personally, yeah. personally, 85% of my personal circle of influence, mm -hmm. uh, maybe more, probably 95%, or let's say 85% of the people that talked about it, mm -hmm. That, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, never did anything, they 85 could, to 90%. They could have had 10 properties, say, for example, one a year. They probably could have been a millionaire by now if they would have just shut the fuck up. Yeah, Multi-millionaire. And, and not listened to all of this Multi bullshit and, and, and been scared. Yeah. And let's say, I, I can't predict, maybe it does crash. Well, mm -hmm. maybe you buy, you buy five on the way up, five on the way down, yeah. dollar cost average yourself. Well, I can tell you this, Windsor sure as fuck won't go back to 40 grand a house. That That's is it. for yeah. sure. There, There is a... Uh, a limit on for how sure. far let's say like you you realistically you could lose on paper 50 percent of your money mm -hmm. on paper it's not even a real capital loss because you don't have to sell it mm -hmm. especially if you're cash flow positive but your upside is infinite mm -hmm. of course real estate's not going to go to infinity but it theoretically is infinite mm -hmm. prices can you know over 100 years what's what's the house price going to be yeah about three four million right <laughs> with inflation like do yeah. the math yeah um you know, people would, would have said five years ago, there's no way we'll see a million dollar average price. We're on the pace for a million dollar average price in Windsor, by the way. That's wild. It, it is wild. Crazy? If things continue at this trajectory, we'll be there in, in three to five years. Do we average imagine? price. Isn't that it's wild? It's becoming very common. Yeah. And Mississauga just hit a million dollar average yeah. price. You know, a suburb of Toronto. But yeah. I, like I said, I think Windsor's- a million people. 
Windsor's yeah. a suburb of Toronto now as well. Yeah. We, we all are, all of Ontario yeah. is in my opinion. So, you know, if it changes in the meantime, I'll, I'll adapt. But how about you? What, what, what do you, do you think we're in a bubble? Do you think we're on the verge of collapse? <laughs> if, if it wasn't for a, a scenario of we don't have, we, there's no supply, I, I would be much more inclined to think, yeah, maybe there is a bubble, but we just don't have supply. So there, I don't think there's a bubble. So I think, like you mentioned, I think when there's a bubble, I think the fundamentals of a real estate bubble is there's just too much supply and then it's going to deflate, right? That's what a bubble does. To a certain, yeah, to a certain level. And yeah. that's the thing. People think the bubble, It'll just explode. it always just pops no. to zero. No, it, it no. deflates to- Deflates a bit. And then it, it matches, supply it matches demand. Yeah. It just corrects. Yeah. That's all it does. It'll, supply will match demand, like you said, and it'll just correct. That's it. It won't like literally tank anything. So all you fucking guys thinking like, oh, you're going to be buying houses for like a hundred grand again. No, it ain't happening. Okay. And no, I don't think we're in a bubble because literally it will take years for people to catch up for the housing demand. So no, I don't think it is at all. Now a bubble could happen mm-hmm. if some black swan event, mm-hmm. economic shock of some sort or a heavy handed government policy, then mm-hmm. it could, it could change the mentality. But right now it's not a bubble. Mm-hmm. Until something changes, right? Yeah. Now, again, I do not, I would not recommend that you try to predict that black swan no. event because if you could predict it, then it's not a black swan. No. A black swan is unforeseen. Yeah. It's a, it's an economic anomaly. It's yeah. something that nobody or very small percentage of people could actually see. And if Joe Schmo sitting on his couch watching Netflix thinks that he knows what that black swan event is and he's outsmarting all the economists that are trying everything in their power and the government authorities to not let a crash happen. They're mm. manipulating things. They're buying bonds. They're doing what they have to do to keep the economy going. But Joe Schmo on his coach knows something that all the developers don't know, all the builders, all the investors, all the economic policies, all the, and, but he knows and they don't, then you're, you're sorely mistaken and you're mm. costing yourself potentially a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And you'll take that mentality with you in every market. That's the problem. The problem is the mentality. That's what's going to limit you money. I don't care what the market gives me. I have the mentality to take advantage of it. Your, your bad mentality is your problem. Mm-hmm. The bad mentality is trying to predict black swan events, trying to predict economic policy like interest rates. People have been dead wrong about that. Never try to predict that. Uh, and also trying to predict market crashes. You're just doing it because you're scared, little bitch. <laughs> just, just admit it. You're scared. It's okay. I'm scared too. Yeah, yeah. Just don't let it hinder you. That's all. Love like I, I wake up at scared every single day. The shit that I do on a daily basis, big numbers, do all this shit. You know, they got a team of people. It's fucking scary and it's daunting and all that shit, but you can't let it stop you. Gotta That's operate. It. You can't, you, you like, listen, life is scary. Real estate is scary because it's big, you know, it's, it's big money at this point now. It's big money. So just let it scare you. You're not going to get rid of the fear. So stop talking shit. And just deal with it. Yeah. Buy on fundamentals. Don't over leverage yourself. And feel the fear and do it anyways. I hate that cliche. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's you're never going to get rid of the fear. So yeah. stop, stop trying to get rid of it. it. It'll, it'll never go away. You'll always be scared. Just fucking deal with it. it. And, and another thing too is yes, don't over leverage yourself. Yeah. That is a big thing. Don't fucking get over leveraged because when that, Black Swan event does come and more than likely it will at it's some coming. point. We just don't know when. It. You can't, yeah, exactly. We don't know when, but when it does come, if you're over leveraged, you're going to get fucked. Then you're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Good.